Turn in your Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 1. The Word of God is full of power. It's the same today, every minute, every hour. The Word is truth. It's also the way. The Word is life. And it's for today. Can you say amen? Amen. Have you found First Thessalonians chapter 1? Let's read it. Let's read it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering, and you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, there is a huge uh, debate or uh, discussion that can go on today uh, among thinking people, preachers, not all preachers are thinking people, of course, but, but people who want to preach the gospel to our, to our generation. And there's a huge sort of discussion that goes on, how do we do it today? Because the world in which we are living, this particular country, is not the same as it was even when I became a Christian 20, 25 years ago. It's a totally different country. The people are different. They're taught different things. They believe different things. How do we preach the gospel today? And people uh, have tried all sorts of methods. You see people, don't you, in the street, preaching in the street. Some people say, no, no, that's too much people, too much people's face. They try to invite them to church. To, and they wouldn't invite them to Sunday church. They invite them to a barbecue or something like that. And there's a whole host of uh, courses now. Christianity Explored is the one that we love here, but there's Alpha, of course, absolutely brilliant. Why Jesus? All sorts of courses. And the big question is, how do we, how do, we do it today? How do we preach the gospel today? Do we spend a long time making friends with people and then preach to them? Often, of course, once you've made friends with people, then you don't want to preach to them because... It's more awkward. So it's all, it's all very complicated. 
So there's much discussion about how best to communicate the message of Jesus to an unchurched world. However, in this chapter, it seems to me that Paul uh, gives us five, what I've called here, eternal principles. Meaning uh, that while societies change, while cultures are different, and we looked at this in our, in our Bible school this week, how Paul preached differently in one place to the way Peter preached in another. Um, while audiences are different, while methods are different, while style is different, you only have to go in another church, no more than a few meters away from here, totally different style, you know. And <coughs> what we're looking for is what are the eternal things? What are the things that must never change? And I want to share some of them with you today, Paul gives five of them here about the way that we would preach the gospel in whatever generation that we lived. Okay, the first one is with words. We're looking at verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 1. And he says to them there, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. Now, of course, if the gospel does not come only with words, but with power, that does mean that it does come with words. It does come with words. The gospel is not preached with words alone, but it is preached with words. Sometimes people say this. Have you ever said this? Listen to me today. Let's say this, do you know what I do? I don't preach to people. No, I don't preach to people. What I do is I let them look at my life. And they then come to me and say, what's different about you? Can you tell me about Jesus? They say, I don't preach with words. I preach with my life. And do you know what? It sounds really spiritual and good, that. But I don't know about you. But I have never been in Bar Hill Tesco and someone come rushing up to me and say, Ooh, what's different about you? I've never had that happen. I've never been walking down Mill Road and someone come running up to me and go, Ooh, look at you. You're so different. Now, I am a bit different, I know. Especially on Mill Road, I tell you. But no one has ever done that. No one has ever come up to me and gone, Ooh, how different you are. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I never had that happen. And I suspect neither of you. And so this stuff about, I always preach the gospel and sometimes I use words, which is a, a wonderful Christian phrase that's got you know, banded around. Well, it, it, I understand that we have to be authentic and we will get to that. But if you're going to preach the gospel, you actually have to open your mouth. Can you say amen? It doesn't actually just come out of your lifestyle. 
It doesn't just come out of your beaming smile. And by the way, I've met many depressed Christians who I wouldn't want to go up to and ask anything of them. And so sometimes we go through these, these valleys or we have uh, tempers, you know, and we lose our cool and we blow our testimony. So clearly, and I'm talking about you and me now, I remember one time, I almost left a job of work I was doing because I was so depressed about the way the, co- the company was being run. And I thought, you know what, I might blow my testimony out of the water. And I considered resigning, not just because I didn't like it, because I thought, I'm not being a very good evangelist here. I need to start again somewhere else. So it's important that we have authenticity, but we have to use words. We have to use words. It is preached with words. The word of God, says Hebrews 4.12, is living and active and sharper than what? A double-edged sword. Sharper than a double-edged sword. Jeremiah the prophet said this, Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And so if you're going to preach the gospel to people, friend. If you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to need to open your mouth. It's going to have to come out of your mouth. You're going to have to share it. And uh, we spend a fair amount of time in this particular church teaching people what the gospel actually is. Anyway, I move on from there. So it's not just preached with words, he says, but it's also preached with power. With power. Now, I wonder what you immediately think that might mean, because this is the Thessalonian church, and when we look at the planting of the church in Acts 17, verses 1 to 9, we read that Paul stayed in Thessalonica, he was there for three weeks, and on each Sabbath day, he reasoned with the Jews, as was his custom. And the visit to Thessalonica ended in a bit of a riot, Uh, There's another form of evangelism we haven't touched on, riot evangelism. Very popular with the Apostle Paul. Not very seeker-friendly, involved a lot of policemen and violence, but that was one of his methods. There's a lot of riots wherever Paul went. He says that the gospel came with power, but when we look at his stay in Thessalonica, what we don't read is any miracles. There are places he went to where there were amazing miracles. Ephesus is the most prominent, perhaps. But in Corinth, he speaks of miracles happening in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4 and 5. So there were miracles in Corinth. There were miracles in in Lystra and Derby. There were miracles in Acts 14. But in Acts 17, it says there were no miracles. So what can he mean when he says that the gospel came with power. He must mean this, that the message itself had power. And I want to tell you, it does. The message itself has power. All by itself. It doesn't have power sitting unread in a book but it has power when it is preached. Quote from dear brother Bonke, of course, an unpreached gospel is no gospel at all. 
What did Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, verse 16, of Jesus Christ, because it is what? The power of God to salvation, or the power of God to save those who believe it. If you will preach the gospel, you will release power into that conversation. Like you would never believe. And you'll be filled with fears, adrenaline, uncertainty, maybe some excitement too, thank God. But more than that, as we preach the gospel, there is incredible power from the kingdom to come released in the present age. Sometimes it does indeed manifest itself in miraculous wonders. Absolutely. Absolutely. God heals the sick to confirm his word. But actually, aside from that, the gospel has power in and of itself. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of of God. The gospel message itself has power. You share it and you'll find that out. Now it has power to upset the hearers. It has power to save the hearers. But nevertheless, it has power. You share the gospel, you share the real gospel I'm not just talking about why don't you come to a church barbecue, though that's a good thing to do. I'm not just talking about, you know, well, I go to church. And, you know, that's a good start for sure. But you preach about the cross. You tell people that Jesus died for them. You are bringing the message from heaven to this planet. Don't you expect there would be power released when you did that? So the gospel is preached eternally with words, however we do it, whether it's in a group, whether it's on the street, whether it's one-to-one, -one, whether it's at a church party or function. There must be words if we're going to preach the gospel. Number two, there must be power. And when the gospel is preached, there is power. Thirdly, he says, with the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 1 verse 5, it came with words. Not just with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit. I love that. The Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who will go with the gospel. Let's just be honest a minute. Let's just be honest about one very simple thing. There is a rich promise in the Bible. That the Spirit of God will be with those who go with the gospel. If we don't go with the gospel, then we miss out on that experience. I'm telling you right now. We miss out on that experience. Jesus said, I am with you always. After he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so there's a very real sense in which the Holy Spirit is especially experienced by those who go with the gospel. Now, you can have the Holy Spirit at home, 
We do. You can have the Holy Spirit in church. We do. You can have the Holy Spirit in your car. We do. You can have the Holy Spirit running up a mountain in the peak. They hopefully will. But oh, the awesome presence of the Holy Spirit when we go with the gospel. The end of Mark's gospel, chapter 16, says this. As they went, the Lord went with them, worked with them. Some people want to see miracles, but they don't want to go and preach the gospel. Well, they sort of go together. I used to work in a place not far from here. And I had a uniform. You know, like you have a uniform, you got to wear. If you work at, as a nurse, you have a uniform. If you work in a company, you might have a shirt, You have, type of shirt you have to wear. If you work at McDonald's, you have to have the baseball cap. And the Holy Spirit is like the uniform for the job. And many of us, we want the uniform without the job. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? If we go with the gospel, the power of the Lord will be on us. And we miss out on that experience because we don't fulfill it uh, completely. The Lord worked with them. Acts 5.32, Peter's preaching and he says to the crowd, he says, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to all who obey him. Peter was talking as though the Holy Spirit was standing next to him. He says, we're witnesses of this, and so is he. And the crowd could have looked and thought, well, who? who? Who's that? He says, we are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. He's standing right here. He's standing right here because we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans fifteen nineteen is the, the account of Paul talking about how from round from Jerusalem, round to Illyricum. He had fully preached the gospel of Jesus with wonderful miracles. So the gospel, how are we going to preach the gospel today? In whatever setting, whatever denomination you might be from, whatever background, however we do it, it must be done with words. It's got to be done with words. It's got to be done with power, which means we've got to preach the real message. It's got to be done with the presence of the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God brings us to the next point. I think it's the next point. The deep conviction. You have a look at verse 5. First Thessalonians 1 and verse 5 also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. I long for the day. When the, the gospel of Jesus is preached in Britain. And what I can only call something terribly old-fashioned happens. And that is that people are, like on the day of Pentecost, cut to the heart. Sometimes, let, can, I, can I just be controversial for a minute? How many of you would like me to be controversial? Uh, it's not enough. How many of you would like me to be controversial? Okay, now you remember, you asked me to be. 
Sometimes we think people have got saved and they, and they really haven't. They really haven't. One time, when I was a young man, I was in a church. I'd been a Christian a few years, just a few years, three or four years or something. And a young man had got saved in the meeting. A big couple got him in a corner and got him saved. And because he was a young man, the pastor looked around and thought, who can I put with him? And there was me. So he said, would you go and talk to him? So I went to talk to this young guy. I said, oh, it's great to have you in church. I hear you became a Christian tonight. And the first words that came out of his mouth were these, something like, well, I didn't really want to. Oh, it's a bit strange. <laughs> no, he said, really, I, I don't even know why I'm here. I, I, didn't like, I didn't like it at all. Oh, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, no, I didn't like it at all. Well, didn't you put your hand up? Yeah, but they made me. Pointing to this couple. They made me. They got him in a corner. There was no way for him to escape. He was tall and she was wide. And there was no way he could escape. And he looked at him and Sheila and said, Do you want to be a Christian? And he thought, well, if I say yes, maybe they'll let me go. So he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say this prayer. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus. Come into my heart, come into my heart. Forgive my sin, forgive my sin. Amen. Oh, he's born again. I sat down with him and I said, after, just to cut a long story short, I said to the guy, I said, actually, you've not become a Christian. Uh, I'm sorry you had a bad experience here, but please come again. Do you know what happened when that couple found out that I did that? I think they thought I was Beelzebub's servant. We got him saved. Peter got him lost. Right? But I want to suggest they didn't get him saved at all. And some people are not saved at all. Because when people are saved, they are cut to the heart. And do you know, I want to tell you, there's nothing that any church can do, any preacher can do to bring that about. The only thing that can bring that about is the Almighty God. By the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. I once visited a revival in the United States of America. I heard that at this revival, people were coming under great conviction of sin. I thought, I'd like to go and see that. I thought, you know, I mean, I won't come under any conviction, but it'd be good to see them getting convicted. On the first night, I sat in the church. The worship began, and it was okay, just normal and wonderful, but it was okay. Just not quite my style, but it was great. And I sat there, I was right at the back, because you had to queue from 10 in the morning to get in at 7 o'clock at night. So I'd been outside for, uh, I think they let us in at 6, so I'd been outside the church for 8 hours in order to get in. 
And even when I got in, I was still at the back. But I was glad to have got in. Amen. (laughs) While I sat there, the music was playing. I became terribly uncomfortable. It was horrible. I thought, why do I feel uncomfortable? I don't like it here. It's a country and western worship. What's going on here? I don't know what's going on here. But I'll tell you what it was. It was the conviction of sin. And I began to think about what a wretch I really, really was. And am. I thought, I'm a wretch. I'm here to study this revival. I need, revi- I need reviving myself. On the way over on the plane, I thought about how wonderful it would be to see the altar calls and see everyone running forward to repent of sin. How many of you know where I saw the altar call that night? From the front row. Because I was there. I could, the preacher came on before he even came on. Before he even came on. I thought, I hope he's not too long. Now, I know everyone thinks that about preachers. There's nothing more beautiful in a church than somebody saying, finally. But as I was there, I thought, as soon as he came on, I thought, I hope he's not going to be too long because I need to get out of my chair and I need to get down to the front and I need to get right with God. I want to tell you, it wasn't the country and western worship that did that. It was something called deep conviction. However we do the gospel today, whether we do it over supper, whether we do it in the street, whether we do it at Alpha, whether you do it over coffee at work, there must be words, there must be the power of the message itself, there must be uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and there must be deep conviction. The old-fashioned conviction of sin will always accompany the true gospel. Jesus said this, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes, John 16, verse 8, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And can I say, it's a good idea if we're going to be gospel preachers to the lost, that we have that experience first. Can you say amen? Not just we want them to have it, but we need to have it. It seems to me that whenever God moves in revival, he revives the church to reach the world. The problem with Jonah's missionary journey to Nineveh was not the demons, powers, principalities in Nineveh, but it was the rotten heart of the prophet, the missionary himself. The hindrance to the Nineveh revival was not the Ninevites and their sin. It was the reluctant evangelist in the boat. Do you understand? And so we need to have that transformation. The fifth and final principle that Paul gives us here is this one of authenticity or authentic lifestyle. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, after he's given this list of four things that the gospel came to them with, he now crowns it with a fifth one that you might not notice unless someone showed you. He says this, you know 
how we lived among you for your sake. You know, he says, how we lived among you for your sake. In other words, he says, you have met us. You saw what we were like. And we were authentic. Just going back to what I was saying at the beginning. For sure, no one's going to run up to you in the street and go, what's different about you? But, you won't reach a soul if you're not authentic in front of them or before them. Paul said, we came to you with this gospel. It had words. It had power. It had the Holy Spirit. There was deep conviction. But it also came in an authentic package. Namely, he says, us. We were the real deal. We were the real thing. We weren't fake believers. We weren't one thing in church and another thing at home. Shame on you if that's true for you. We weren't one thing in worship and then another thing at work. I know these lifestyle changes are very tempting. Very easy to slip into. I understand that. Like I said earlier, I nearly quit a job because I thought I was blowing my testament. I was so grumpy there. So grumpy there. But we've got to be the real deal. In the whole chapter, chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, Paul talks about how he had, uh, how he had uh, behaved. And we won't read it just for the sake of time. But he, in that whole chapter, if you like to read your Bible, read this chapter this afternoon. He talks about how they lived. How they hadn't tricked them. How they'd been genuine with them. How they worked hard. I think the inference is that he hadn't stayed in one of their homes. They had made, they'd sold things in order to uh, be accommodated and eat. They hadn't drawn from that community their food or their shelter. Although they were entitled to it, they had not done so. In order to be authentic with them. They weren't going to rob them of their stuff. Paul worked hard, made tents, they sold things. I don't know what they did. But he says to them uh, that they were not a burden to them. He says in verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So we have to be, have to be authentic. Jesus said in John 13, you know this, don't you? This is how men will know that you're my disciples. What does he say? How will they know? Because you love one another. In 2 Corinthians and chapter 3, first few verses there, Paul talks about being living epistles, known and read by all men. We've said it before many times, but let's just say it one more time today. People where you work, people where you live, in your neighborhood, Many of them will not read this. They will not read this. You could put it through their letterbox. Probably not a leather one. But you could put it through their letterbox. They won't read it. They don't read it. 
But here's what they do read. They read you. And they read me. We are known and read by all men. So if we're going to preach the gospel, we have to be authentic. Five principles. Whether it's in Alpha, whether it's on the street, whether it's over coffee, we must use words. The speaking of the gospel will release power. We will know the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. That presence of the Spirit, by God's grace, it will bring godly uh, conviction, deep conviction. And it all works if the messenger not only brings good news, but is good news. Without the authenticity, all the other things don't work. In order to minister, you have to have favor with God and man. That's in Luke 2, verse 52, and in the book of Samuel concerning the prophet. If you don't behave like a Christian, how can you share the gospel? We all know that. And we all blew it too. We all failed. We've all had times where we've not been what we should have been. But let's pick up the baton again today. I want to encourage you. Because we can go through these periods where we kind of stop sharing our faith. Don't be like that. Let's let the river of God flow. And let's let the gospel go to every creature.